0: All right, welcome to Vision Dinner. It's good to see so many of you here tonight. If you didn't get the handout that we've prepared, there is one. uh, There's a few more up here on the offering box. Uh, As people come in, will you just, well, Larry, will you kind of like yell at them and say, "Hey, you know, grab one of those things for me," so that we're all, all on the same page? No, that's well, whatever. That's okay. It doesn't matter. If you'd like to do that, that's great. Uh, we, this, this spring, you know, in the reality of trying to contemplate and plan for a transition, which will be a major transition for our church, uh, that in October uh, this place will look and feel and be much different than it is now and has been for the last few years. In that, uh, Lord willing, we'll be sending out a core group to plant a church in another part of the city, and we will also be executing a strategy to move to two services, and so there's a lot of um, there's a lot of change that's going to take place, and and if I had, this is going to sound really negative, but if I had to characterize exactly how it is that a church can pull off in a, in a healthy and effective and faithful way, uh, those two things it's like um, it's like a it's contemplating a series of a thousand deaths. I think is the way I would put it. That sounds really morbid and scary and upsetting. So what I want to try to win you to tonight is uh, the fact that I don't think it is. In fact, I think it's the path to life, and it's the path to seeing the gospel go forth into our city the way that we've always hoped and dreamed and prayed and planned that it would, uh, and talk a little bit about that. And then David's going to come at the very end. David, uh, who really, this is all his fault. So if you're upset about the two services thing, blame him, okay? He's the fall guy for all of this. No. We brought him here, knowing this would be part of what we would be doing, and he has done it before, though in a much larger scale, he, he is, and he is I think every church you've been in just about, you've transitioned that church to two services and two Sunday schools, or three services and three Sunday schools, and so he's going to come and kind of share a little bit of the ground level, uh, what the, hey, you guys, grab one of those things right there, uh, what the troops can expect uh, in, in, in and through the process, so I'm glad, he's going to come at the very end and kind of share a little bit, I'm going to give a bigger picture, because that's my nature. He's going to give some of the details and practical examples because that's his nature. So if you have your hand out in front of you, you'll see uh, there's a couple of scriptures that I wanted to meditate on together for a few minutes, uh, if we could. And I tell you what, before I start, uh, let's, let's open with a word of prayer. Can we do that? So Father, thank you for my friends and for their willingness to come and, and um, learn together tonight, meditate on your scriptures together tonight. I believe that your words are the words of life. And so as we, as we, even in this, in every single thing that we do, but in this too, we try to center our lives around what you have spoken to us in your word. Would you come and would you um, be with us now? Would you help us to encourage one another in our conversation? Would you um, give us a vision for the kind of thing that you would have us to do and to be as a church? And would you equip us with your spirit and power uh, and self-control and love uh, to become the kind of people who can continue to bear fruit that will glorify and honor you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so you'll see on the paper that I've given you there, I first quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who in prison said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Uh, and that was kind of his general, you know, if you want to know what discipleship is, if you want to know what the nuts and bolts of discipleship to Jesus is, when Jesus calls you to himself, he's calling you to take up his cro- take up your cross, follow after him to do the same thing that he did, which of course was to take a cross and die. And uh, Jesus speaks about this in John 12. It's one of my favorite passages, and I want to just meditate on it together for a couple minutes. He says there, if you look, I printed it for you, John 12. uh, The Greeks come, and it sparks, you know, because the Greeks have come to seek him out, something, a, a switch flips in him, and Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servants be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And then he goes on in verse 27, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. He's contemplating his cross, and he says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. So what I want you to see first is that there's a principle of gospel expansion here. Jesus shows us the way the gospel is going to go forth from his life and from his ministry into the lives of his disciples and then by implication through the life of those who follow him and into all the world. And it's just this, that life always comes out of death. Life comes out of death. I mean, if you garden at all, you know this. You must first plant the seed into the ground, bury it, so to speak, right? Right? so that it can be resurrected and there can come life out of the seed. If the seed does not die and split open, then not, then there's no life that comes out of it. Where there is no death, there is no and can be no spiritual life. And so one of the things we learn from this text and others in the scriptures is, is that a life of comfort and ease and selfishness, though it may be what the majority of our culture is aiming at, and though no one has the courage to really say it, what our worldview and what our... Bible would tell us is, is that a life of comfort, ease, and selfishness really, ultimately, at the end of the day, leads to boredom and to barrenness. Whereas a life of mission and sacrifice and so forth, so forth, really creates fruitfulness, and because of fruitfulness, joy. Now, you've probably experienced that at some level in your life, but it really is a principle. I mean, it's a principle here that we cannot shy shy away from. And the reality is, is that Jesus highlights the irony uh, that's so true of so many of our lives. And he says, if you love your life, that is, that if you refuse to die, if you refuse to give things away you think you need to have in order to be happy, the irony is, is that if you try so desperately to hold on to life, you'll in fact lose it. If you desperately, as your kids grow, and you desperately try to hold on to them and keep them from leaving you, the very act of grabbing them is the thing that will tear them from you, Right? Selfishness leaves you empty, not happy. And so, in order to really find life, in order to find meaning and power and joy, you have to lose your life. You have to choose mission. You have to sacrifice. And when you do that, see the promise of the scripture is that when you do that, what happens is it unleashes a power. This is what is so cool to me. It unleashes a power in your life, but it's it, but. It, does something, it's a work that begins in you, but it does not end in you. The power that gets unleashed in you actually begins to give you life, but through you it begins to bring life to other people. Isn't that amazing? mean, that's the very thing that happens, that there's bearing of fruit because when you die, that's when the gospel really, that's when there's a power that comes into your life, but it's a power that doesn't just get extinguished in you. It really starts to come out of you and begin to even work in the lives of the people around you. So selfishness cuts off God's power in my life and through me for others. But if I'm willing to lay aside my selfishness and choose mission and sacrifice, then the opposite happens. So Jesus models then, the last thing here for us, what this death looks like when he says yes to his cross. Do you see this? Look at him wrestling here. It's really fascinating. He says, my soul's troubled. That's a strong word. It means that he's freaking out. When he starts to think about the cross, uh, it brings on a panic attack. And so he begins to flirt. Now, I know this is, I'm, I'm, I'm flirting with disaster here In our, as far as Christology is concerned, but just bear with me. He begins to flirt with the idea of aborting the mission. What shall I say? Father... Save me from this hour, and of course we know. He says later in the Gospels, you remember, if I cry out to the Father and say, uh, Father, save me, what's the Father going to do? He's coming, right? He will send legions of angels, right? And I picture, the, I picture the armies of heaven just waiting, like standing at the ready, waiting for word from the Son to come and rescue him. And, and his heart goes there in this moment. Father, what shall I say? Father, save me, for this hour and, save me from this hour, and for a moment he allows himself to think about not dying. And then he does an amazing thing. He begins to talk to his heart. And I like the NIV. In the NIV, NIV it says, No. (laughs) No. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And so there's this emphatic, what shall I do? Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? No. It's this emphatic, thunderous no. And Jesus models for us here. He says no to his own desire. He says no to his own comfort. He says no to his own you know, life and chooses to live for the Father's glory. And that's the choice in a big picture of even what we're facing here with these two services. It's a choice that is in every moment of every day throughout the next 25 to 30 to 50 years of our life together as a church that will be before us as well. Will we choose to live for ourselves? Will we choose to live for the sake of the Father's glory? And Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. And I would hope that would be our prayer too. And I really do think this is an opportunity for us to do this. And so one other, one other scripture passage that I wanted to meditate on with you just briefly tonight is kind of the how behind some of this. And I love this passage from Second Timothy 1, verse 7. For God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Because obviously, it's pretty scary, isn't it, to say no to yourself and say yes to living for the Father's glory and yes to living for other people. I mean, that's really scary stuff. And so the thing we have to deal with is fear. And I love this verse, that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And Martin Lloyd-Jones and his spiritual depressions, which, by the way, I've got some people reading finally around here. I know it sounds morbid and depressing, but it is amazing. And you would do well. Ashley, you want to give me an amen? (laughs) She's reading it. The staff's reading it together. It's a great book. You ought to get it. You ought to read it. It's, it's It's, It's wonderful. He, in that book, in one of the sermons he preaches, makes a point that fear is a warning sign that... We've become too focused on ourselves. That what fear shows is that we've begun to forget that God, what God has done for us and all that he has given to us in the person, particularly of the Holy Spirit. That we underestimate the resources that are really at our disposal. So he says this, and here's, I'm quoting him. He says, here's a superb bit of psychology. For what, after all, is the main cause of this spirit of fear? The answer is self. Self-love, self-concern, self-promotion. The essence is that fearful people are really too absorbed in self. How can I do this? What if I fail? And then he says, I. They are constantly turning in upon themselves, looking at themselves, concerned about themselves. Then he goes on, there's only one cure for self. You will never deal with self yourself. There's only one way to get rid of self, and that is that you should become so absorbed in someone or something else that you have no time to think about yourself. In other words, the solution to fear is love. That's the argument he's trying to make there, that we've not been given a spirit of But if power and love and love is the opposite of selfishness, it's being absorbed in the other person or in this case in God, you know, the love of God for me and my love for him and then extended uh, to my neighbor and love to my neighbor like myself. It's being absorbed in that person. Scripture says perfect love casts out all fear because if your focus is on someone else, then you don't have time to be focused on you. God's spirit makes this possible in us, Paul says, but the question becomes Are we focused on ourselves, on our needs, on our wants, our desires, what's comfortable for us? Or are we focused on loving God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, loving the city that He's called us to, loving the people that He's sent our way? And as I, would, I just put a note in here, as I've prayed about this, convinced, wasn't it first, but I've become convinced that love for God, for the kingdom, for our neighbors compels us to go to two services, and that it would be selfish to refuse to do so. If I thought it was the other way around, I'd be arguing to stay in one service. And yet the promise there in Second Timothy is that as we move out in love, that we find a new power for self-control, right? It's as you put your heart on other people, not focused on yourself, that you actually find the freedom to say no to your own desires and wants for the sake of serving others, a new joy in dying so that others might have life. Listen, and that's the power of the gospel. Not a spirit of fear, But power, love, that leads to self-control. See that in that great verse? Isn't that just so practical, the way that that all works out? And here's what I want to do. So does that all make sense? Or thoughts? Let me stop. I mean, because I really do love for these to be kind of like town hall, feel like town hall meetings. So let me stop. Uh, Any questions or thoughts? What do you think about that? Nobody wants to talk? Just me? Y'all don't get tired of just me talking all the time? You don't ever want to talk? You're so good at- yeah, thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Does it make you fearful? Or are we like, let's go? I mean, right? Am I preaching to the choir, preacher, right? Okay, fine. We'll keep going then. And so here's what I would say. I started to think about this this afternoon. And I thought, where do I already, seen this, where do I already see this kind of, um, this kind of willingness to sacrifice and to die and to go to the low place to really move out in humility uh, and be willing to go into the ground and die so that the gospel might bear fruit. And I thought of a bunch of different places. Uh, and I, uh, the first, I started, started just to think kind of big, big picture to smaller picture. And the first thing, uh, in the last month, this is crazy, guys. In the last month, um, Tim Rice, who was, is the senior pastor of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Lakeland, who planted our church and has planted the other churches in our network and they now have an apprentice for North Lakeland so we're about to plant another so we are literally trying to plant a church Trinity's going to be planting in North Lakeland Christ Community in um, September is going to hire an apprentice to plant somewhere in South Lakeland or maybe Bartow someplace down there so things are about to explode but uh, Tim Rice about within the last month all three of these things have happened Tim Rice was asked if he might be willing if he would be willing uh, the guy who's in charge of all of church planting in our denomination all over the United States is resigning and, because he's, he's older and he's retiring. And Tim was asked if, if he would consider replacing him. So he would literally be in charge of all the church planting that's happening everywhere in the United States. And he told him, no, I'm called to Polk County. I want to be here. Lyle Caswell, who's the guy who went out from that church before me, um, has been asked... Uh, to consider, uh, he, he gets job offers all the time because he's connected like crazy all over the denomination. But in places like Perimeter in Atlanta, which is a huge church, and other places like that, and he constantly has to, uh, but he got a friend called and, and kind of leaned into him. and He said, You know what? No, I'm just, I'm called to where I am. And then, I mean, all of them in the last, in the last month, uh, two weeks ago, I got asked if I would be willing to submit my name. Uh, Tim Keller's church in New York is looking for a campus pastor, and I was asked if uh, I would submit my name to be one of the campus pastors in New York. Now, if you don't understand, do y'all understand? Right? No, do you understand what that is? But I didn't have to think about that because Ashley wouldn't have let me think about it. For one thing, she's like, "We're not moving to New York. You're crazy, right?" But it wasn't even a thought. It wasn't even a thought. Um, it wasn't even a thought. Here, right, right. So, But I say those things to say this, that, that really, there really aren't bigger opportunities that could come along for guys in an out-of-the-way place like this than those. And none of us have any thought of going anywhere else. Right? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? I mean, we're sold out to being here. It's a small place. It's not New York. It's not a denominational entity that's doing church planting all over the United States. But we love it here, and we think it's what, what God's going to do, you know, is to have us here to do this work. Uh, so I see it there. I see this willingness to kind of put aside larger, you know, larger salaries, bigger works, more f- fame, and those kinds of things from the guys that I love and respect that I'm working with uh, to be here. I see it in the Southwest Congregation uh, leadership and core group that's going to go out, and just the willingness to do church. That it's harder to do church planting than it is to come and have everything, you know, to have pews to sit in and not have to put up chairs and have somebody who's organized. Places for your kids to go, and so I'm excited and thrilled by that. I see it. I see it among our current staff in the way that the way that uh, our staff is really uh, the specialization of the things that are happening, and, and guy's willingness to really um, go after the serving of the greater good uh, of what we're trying to accomplish as a church by staying focused on the things that God's called them to, and and even sometimes it would be things that they're not super excited about, but they know it's what has to happen. So that the so I see the spirit of sacrifice and a willingness to serve and not really worry about who gets the credit for what and 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 are wanting to i mean our i I really think that this what i would tell you about the the staff is i really think this staff is committed to way more committed to making this church great to making the city great to making one another great than anybody is having their little thing that they've got going on that's a blessing but I got really excited, and the last thing I thought, I got really excited when I started to think, I, I can really see five generations of, of leadership uh, right now in our church and see all of them, in every one of them, kind of this, this willingness to fall into the ground and die, that there might be fruit that comes out of them. I think of our current elders and deacons who are mainly, don't get offended, guys, who are mainly in their 50s and 60s, mainly, not all of them, most of them, um, who some of these guys... Um, have I mean, I can tell you, some of them have um, turned down job opportunities that would take them away from Winter Haven that would have been fabulously lucrative because they feel called to be here and want to be here. That doesn't happen, right? I mean, do you realize? I mean, that just doesn't happen because they're committed to the vision here and want to be here. And I mean, and they've told me, it would be more money, but I can't stand the thought of missing out about, on what God's going to do here. And then I think about uh, the new class of officers who are mainly in their 40s, mainly, and about some of them and, and things like you know Brad beating, not to single him out, but walking away from a job and starting a nonprofit with no, um, <laughs> no assurance of a salary beyond a year and a half or two because he's so desperate. To want to see God do something great in the kind of work that he wants to do. And he's not alone in that. The the guys that are coming on are just, you know, all of them. I see so much of a willingness to really, you know, Brad Copeland going with them. We're going to ordain a guy as an elder and then immediately send him out on a church plant. That's awesome. Then I think about a current and future, a group of current and future community group leaders that are primarily in their 30s. And what I see from these people who are, you know, 30s and late 20s who are running around chasing kids exhausted are like, sign me up. I'll do whatever you guys need for me to do. And they're becoming community group leaders. And, and it's, it's these, I mean, these are the people that I hear about on a daily basis in the church who God is using in amazing ways, who should be frazzled and freaked out and exhausted. And yet they've signed up and, you know, and say, I'll, you know, I want to, I want to do something. And then I think there's this whole group, I think, you know, of post-college 20-somethings who they all thought and, and it's funny how in, in our a lot there's this whole group of them that thought they were going to seminary and going to become pastors and now there's a question about that but what these guys are telling me these guys have said instead of just going and getting a job in ministry somewhere we want to be here and if it means we got to go to State Farm I know, Chad I mean God bless State Farm but when you're thinking about you know, ministry and I'm called a vocational ministry, but if I've gotta go, you know, if I've gotta go to the secular world or whatever you wanna characterize that and work somewhere for the sake of being able to be here and be a part of I mean, I just am floored by this. Do you see what I'm saying? And then I think not only of that, but I think of the teenagers and college students. We have college students right now who are going away. And it's we I, I wish we have produced some amazing kids. In the last five years or so, and I think we will, but these kids are going away and they're going to other places around the country and they're saying, oh man, all I can think about is how I can, how quickly I can get back home to be a part of what's going on. Right? You know, who aren't thinking about where, what's the career that I, I mean, literally, I had a conversation with a 19 year old, the other 18 year old, the other day. I'm not thinking about what career I can do that's going to make me the most money, or I'm just thinking about what can I do that I can bring back to Winter Haven to help with, with the work that we're trying to get accomplished in Winter Haven. That, that just doesn't happen. And so I just wanted to encourage you with all of the different ways that I, that I think the Spirit is moving among us uh, to really put upon our hearts to, um, to, to consider the thing that Jesus is calling us to here, that if we would give our lives to that kind of work, that he will continue to bless. And that's what I hope we would do, and that's what my expectation. What do you think about that? <laughs> okay, good. I hope that's encouraging to you. So what David's going to do, David, you got about five minutes. You said you need five minutes, right? Okay, five or ten, seven, something like that. So come on. And as you, David's going to come and just, what, what, what are even on an even more ground level of what we're trying to start to go into, what does it mean for us to begin to apply some of these things? Um, our Marcy Sproul called me and asked if I'd move to Orlando
1: and disciple him. But I said no. As I was thinking back over the different churches that God's allowed me to be part of and in, every time when you get to a place where you have some guys that the Spirit of God has used to lead you to a place that's challenged you to die to your own self and... Um, it's not your desires and what works best for your family, but what you're willing to lay everything on the line so that a city comes to know. That, that's that been the same element in each of those places. And when those people responded, yeah, yes. It's a worthy call. It's not to make the preacher's name great. It's not to, It's not to push anything from there. It's not even to say that this church building is... Is great. It's about a God who is, he's worthy. He's, uh, I'm so radically in love with him. The gospel is so changing my life. I find myself on the streets around here and I really feel bad for people. Um, I feel bad for them if they're not going to church anywhere, so I really want them to come. But, but even if they are going somewhere else, I think, you missed it Sunday. It was like, incredible. The Spirit of God did things in that room. You at least ought to listen on the podcast and keep going to your church. Um, So I know some of that's that's not right, but I know that God's going to do some. So I confessed it, so it's good. I know that God is going to, I've been around these things before, and while I don't have anything to do with that, it really isn't my fault. God has given me a front row seat every time to watch when his Spirit just pours out on people that they come to an end of themselves and they just say God whatever you want I'll do that the other night I was in Jeff's core group meeting and as he talked to that group of people and so had every single one of them eaten out of his hand and telling them and asking them what is your story and who are you sharing the gospel with and who are you talking to about these things and they're praying for those people you know When you start talking about what the Lord is doing in your life, you can't contain that inside the walls of one building. It's going to leak out, and the gospel really will change this whole city. Uh, It's so exciting for me that I am at this point again. Most guys in ministry get to be bungee cord strapped to the outside of the space shuttle one time in their whole life. It's just so much fun. That ride... Watching God do things that you know you don't have anything to do with is more fun than anything in the world. And that rocket ship has multiple engines on it. It's, um, you know, not to go to any of their heads, but it's going to be fun to be around 30-year-old little kid Jeff who because that thing is going to be fun. It's it, the gospel and what happens in the lives of those people. And I don't even know who God will give us in the other quadrants, but the fact that I get to be tied to some of those guys and just hopefully encourage them, pray with them. We've gone as a staff around different parts of the city and ate at some strange places around just so we could pray for that part of the city and ask the Lord, even if He doesn't do it through us, to bring the gospel strong to that part of the city. Here's a couple of thoughts for you, and I promise I'm done. If the gospel really is worth all of that, um, in every church I've been in, when we get to this point... The most spiritual people in the church usually say things to me like, Why are you all thinking about going to services? There was like half an empty row. Well, you sat on the first or second row. Do you know that people who aren't used to coming to church want the back five rows? If you can't get a seat in the back five rows, the rest is full. Uh, There were plenty of parking spaces, yes, but here's what the gospel would call us to do. When it calls you to come and die we ought to be fighting over the furthest corner back there parking spot and begging God the whole time that we walk this way, God, would you fill up the rest? And even if you don't, it's my great privilege. Some of you walk around your neighborhood um, because you think you want to lose weight. God gives you an opportunity every Sunday morning. (laughs) Park as far away as you can and beg God all the way in here to, to bring people that are driving by that wonder, what are all those people doing there? I've had several friends say to me, I don't know what's happening at y'all's church, but lately there's like this massive crowd of people waiting to get in. I didn't tell them we had Panera, but (laughs) (laughs) that is an opportunity for you outside those doors. And I've watched a bunch of you take that opportunity where you just are meeting people. That's not just a place where we We are there to spend time with people we already know. We're meeting people and inviting them. Come and sit with us. If I could say one thing to you, when the music starts, as soon as it starts, say to that friend that you've just met and learn their name, would you sit with me? We're about to go in and come on in and take your seat. We who have been here, um, when worship starts, it really is time to worship. And so if you'll help us lead the way in, but until that moment, would you stay out there and love on those people and uh, draw them in? It gives you a great opportunity. When we're in here, the atmosphere, uh, I, I'd love every part of Sunday mornings. Uh, it's just going to be neat to watch what God's doing. And since we heat and cool this building anyway, it's already we're going to pay for it, whether we want to or not. We've got to air condition it. Um, why wouldn't we use it twice? Why wouldn't... All of us get on our face and ask God, would you just, would you fill it twice with people? Could we just say that we'll so love on people as God brings them in these doors, that we're so going to love on people, that we're going to get to know them, that we're going to ask how we can pray for them, that we're going to do those kind of things. And then secondly, even if right now you're not helping in the children's ministry, Ashley's going to line those things out. But it's going to take sacrifice on our part. I was thinking about this. Either you can go with Jeff, and that's going to be sacrifice on your part. Um, I was going to make a joke, but I won't. Um, (laughs) You can go with Jeff, and I know starting a new church, some of you were part of starting this one. It's a hard, hard work. You can either go with him or you can stay here and sacrifice. But those are your only two options. You can't stay here and say, I'm just going to sit, soak, and sour. The preaching's good. I'm going to just, I'm, I'm just going to love all this. It's going to be great. It's perfect for me. I get a pew. I know when to get here early enough. I'm not going to invite anybody else to come. It's It's a sin to not say to the people who are out there, if there really are 83,000 people that aren't going to anybody's church anywhere, I wish that God would continue. I know we're only six years old, but the spirit that was in that room with Jeff's core group the other night, those people are serious. They really are praying. I wonder for us, I sat there a little convicted, when is the last time that I asked, Lord, who am I interacting with outside of here that I really want I'm begging you to give me a chance to share what you've done in my life with them. What happens to church people is in a very short amount of time, even in six years, you get to the place where you think, this is all good. If they want the gospel, it's here. They can come anytime they want to. No, that's not what God's called us to do. He exactly as true, shared. I'm not going to read it to you, but I wish you'd go home. Another passage that says the same thing that he shared was Philippians chapter 2. Just the humility of Christ and how we're supposed to love others and share that with them. Would you be willing to do this? Would you be willing to park as far as you could? Before you ever park as far as you could, would you be willing to invite several people to come with you and sit with you on that Sunday? Could we act like this is the mission church and that we have the opportunity to fill this thing up a second time? When we have... Twice as many people around here. You usually can't get but about 10%. And that's what Jeff has going out. If we had twice as many people, we could probably have 50 adults going with him right now. That's, just, that's the dream. It's not to run a bunch of people. It's not any of those kind of things. It's so the city would come under the gospel. And there would be churches all over the city. That's still our heart. None of that's changed. Can I pray for us? Father, thank you. Thank you that you've given us the privilege of being friends and seeing you do things in this city that we never dreamed or imagined. Thank you for the privilege that you've given me just to be back in this place. People that I love and that I've seen you do so many marvelous things in their lives. Lord, in the days ahead, The dreams and visions that we have seem so big to us, but they are so small to you. You want to do so much more than we've ever dreamed or imagined. Would you show us those and would you cause the people of Redeemer to be willing to sacrifice whatever you ask that the gospel might go forth and that many, many people might walk with you in a way that they've not dreamed or imagined. Father, thank you in advance for what you're going to do. Cause us to be willing to lay everything down for your sake.
0: It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, David. So that you know, and we need to go, I know we did have, I mean, this is the burden that the staff feels for this. this is two weeks ago we did have a family who came. It's not their first time, but they'd only been a few times before. They came late, uh, but, but dropped their kids off, walked in, could not find a place to sit in the back or, you know, somewhere comfortable walked right back, picked their kids up, and left. Um, And so that's a burden to us. And so, you know, the the call to die is not only to park far away, make Ashley's work as as easy as it it possibly can be by saying yes to whatever she asks you to do. Um, A lot of people think, oh, I'll be a help. I'll sit in the balcony. That doesn't help. If you really want to be a help, come this way. Right? That pew, that pew, that pew, this pew, that pew, and that pew. If we... There you go. If we could get people forward, then we'd have more room in the back. And so just in all those ways, be thoughtful about all, all the very little ways. Because I promise you, if, there, if we will die a thousand deaths, uh, then, then we will bear fruit a hundredfold. Uh, and, and that's our hope and desire for what God would do for us. So keep praying for Jeff and Marissa and their group. Uh, keep praying for us as we contemplate and try to strategize towards this work but we believe god is um, abundantly able and willing to do all that we ask and even above that and so dream big dreams with us we're excited about what god's doing okay so thank you again for being here tonight Uh, we love you all always enjoy this time together uh, and you're dismissed